Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live, the final edition of this show for the 2019 season. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their series against the Cleveland Indians. And the White Sox have made some friends this week in Minneapolis, St. Petersburg, Florida, and Oakland as they win the series against the Indians and they have reached 70 wins in 2019. We'll recap the series, preview the very final series of the 2019 season as the Detroit Tigers come into town to try to play four games in three days. We'll see what Mother Nature has to say about that. And we'll look at the Major League Baseball postseason races and what to pay attention to in the final weekend. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Fun series for the White Sox. Too bad the worst game they played in the month was on ESPN. Yeah, that generally seems to be how it goes when they had the opportunity to have Tim Anderson's story out there and Yohan Mankata's season and Nelo Jimenez. Uh, instead, yeah, they, they kind of crapped the bed. But the last two games are pretty sweet, and and I think I would trade ultimately, I, I guess, the way the, the series played out to, <laughs> I think it was like maybe the most demoralizing fashion possible for the Indians. Yeah, I mean... This week, we have seen some really demoralizing losses and losing streaks and teams just full on going on collapse mode. I mean, you have Cleveland after they went 11 to nothing, probably thinking, right, Jim, that, hey, we could sweep the White Sox here. And uh, 
grab one of those wild card spots, but not at all. And I'm not even quite sure what to say from a Cleveland point of view on what happened the last two games because prior to tonight's game, Dylan Cease was scratched, and thankfully it's nothing major. He has a hamstring strain. He'll have an MRI on uh, on Friday for the White Sox, but they don't think it's severe at all, and they were just doing it for precautionary reasons. Uh you know, not try to compound anything. It's not like the White Sox have anything to play for. Uh, but for Cleveland, after they put up 11 runs, and mostly because Jose Ramirez was awesome, but then to turn around and then just the offense cannot gen- generate anything against pretty much the entire White Sox bullpen uh, is a bit bizarre from my point of view. What did you think about Cleveland's effort in the last two games? Yeah, it was it was weird. You know, seeing the White Sox hit Shane Bieber. I mean, Mike Clevenger was awesome and overpowering, and the White Sox really struggle against him. So, yes. you know, that's to be expected. But against, I guess, soft, you know, I guess softer throwing guys. I mean, they, they both throw in the low 90s, but they're not Clevenger, you know, high-octane stuff. You know, the White Sox looked more in the same league as the Indians pitchers and they just waited them out and they took advantage of some shaky control and drew some walks. And, uh, you know, when, when you, when we talk about the White Sox not drawing walks and, and being so batting average based, this is the kind of, uh, these are the kind of games that point to what the offense might look like if they could find more on base guys, just the way walks string things along and make pitchers work harder and just open the door for more mistakes rather than having to work so hard for every run they get. And, yeah, it was it was impressive on the offensive side, just seeing the the patience pay off against uh, pitchers they had more of a chance against, and then yeah, just the I, I think the bigger surprise was that these games weren't slugfests. Um, you know, Detweiler had a Detweiler game, three runs over five innings, like that's probably the best you can expect from him, but still four innings to cover for a wobbly White Sox bullpen, then nine innings to cover for the White Sox bullpen uh, the next day, so. Um, yeah, they have to feel like they've they've missed a major opportunity because it's not like you know the uh, the White Sox are really pitching you know you know throwing like you know say like Jimmy Cordero is throwing ninety eight and, and random heat lining up for them. They were throwing Josh Osich, who mm-hmm. has had a decent season, in long relief, but he's more or less interchangeable. And you know they had to go with Jace Fry, and they had to use Evan Marshall for a lot of pitches, and just these uh, you know the, the matchups were never in the White Sox favor, but you'd never know it by the results. Right, and especially with Ross Detweiler and how right-handed heavy mm-hmm. Cleveland's lineup was. Uh, Wednesday night was not a good night for Cleveland. Uh, you know, with when when Wellington Castillo hit that three-run homer, <laughs> everyone on Twins Twitter was just going ecstatic because they knew it was over. The Twins had finally won the American League Central, the first time they've won the division since 2010. And then later that evening... Uh, the Angels took the lead late against Oakland. They're up two to one. And then Matt Chapman in the ninth inning hits a two run homer uh, for the A's to come back from behind and win that game. And that just, just piled it on for Cleveland because Tampa had threw a one hitter against the Yankees. The twins won. The A's came from behind and won. And here's Cleveland struggling against the White Sox. And maybe the difference maker in this series, Jim, is that welcome back 2018, Daniel Polka. Uh, We missed you. I don't know where you've been all season, but he has back-to-back multi-hit games. And then he finally hit a home run. And then he hit another one Thursday night. And uh, you want to know a fun fact, Jim? Go for it. 
Thursday night, Daniel Polka hit 33% of the White Sox season home runs from their right fielders in 2019. <laughs> That's not fun. <laughs> your your White Sox right fielder home run leaderboard. First is Ryan Cordell with three. Second is Daniel Polka with two. And third is Charlie Tilson. <laughs> but at least Tilson's was a grand slam. Man. Uh, against Houston of all teams, but there you go. Those are the only three right fielders, or only three players that have played in right field for the White Sox that have hit home runs uh, in 2019. But you know, with Polka, uh, I again I say welcome back 2018, Daniel Polka, because Jim, at least for two games, it seems like he found his groove. Yeah, it was nice to see. I mean, he's had a rough season and. Um... And the thing about his rough season was that it wasn't really bad luck. Um, you know, early, maybe he had a couple hard hit outs early on, but he wasn't pulling balls in the air. He's popping stuff up, rolling stuff over, striking out. Um, you know, when you when you looked at the batting average on balls and play and expected averages, like they weren't. Yeah, you know, nobody should go one for whatever. But uh, as long as they're putting some balls in play, but he did not deserve like you know anything much more. He was, he was definitely below replacement level, even if you gave him some good fortune. So, you know, the, the, the way he was for the first four or five months his major league stints were just not a major league hitter. Now <laughs> I've been, I've been watching it and just watching for balls pulled in the air because I mean, that's where he's going to be making his, his, his money as a major leaguer. He's not going to, you know, maybe he'll poke the occasional fly ball over the left field wall, but um, you know, he's not going to bring defense. He's not going to bring great on base percentage or, you know, a 300 average, you know, his, his one skill, uh, is putting the ball over the right field wall at very high velocities. And the fact that he wasn't pulling anything in the air, uh, was really just, um, you know, it, it the results spoke for themselves. So see him, you know, rip uh, a high fastball that was out on the outer half and just, you know, get around on it, get under it and, and launch it. And then, you know, doing that on an inside pitch too, just covering both sides of the plate and launching in that direction. That's really what's been missing all along. And, and you know, I think at this point, the White Sox won't plan around him like they did this year and, and they'd be fools to. But when it comes to the kind of depth and, and maybe being a surprise, these are the kind of swings, you know, in competitive games against pitching staffs that are trying their best, um, you know, these kind of efforts put them back in the picture a little bit, even if it is like as a plan well, probably a plan C. Yeah. I mean, I suspect in 2020 he's playing for the Charlotte Knights again, unless he gets waived and he joins another ball club. Yeah. But, but at least for somebody that had a terrific 2018 season. And as you mentioned, Jim has gone through all these struggles this year and spent most of his time at AAA, at least for one night to recapture the magic that he had last year. Uh, at least that he could end this season with a highlight after everything bad that happened when he was in the major league. So at least Dana Polka got that. Yeah, yeah, he gave a lot. Yeah, he gave a lot to the fans last year in a very dismal season. So uh, it was cruel to you know the, how the first five months unfolded. And yeah, just... Just moments, um, signs that it's there, um, because I think if he had the, you know, if he went the whole season and took a, you know, whatever it was, point, you know, <laughs> 0 batting average into the uh, off season and had no extra base hits, then, yeah, I don't know what you do with that. But now if, if he finishes, yeah, has a good last week, um, at least he knows, you know, the White Sox can't know. And, you know, I don't think other teams can know, but at least he can know, you know, going into next spring, and, and feeling like it's, you know, one good break away from him 
resuming his old role as a lefty power bat who's uh you know might have more of a job uh this next year as as rosters expand to 26 another surprise during this series uh a very pleasant surprise Kelvin Herrera and on Wednesday's game he struck out all four batters he faced and he brought back the cutter and you wrote a little bit more about this Jim is the cutter good enough mm-hmm to grant him one more bounce back season, maybe in 2020. Seems like it. It seems like it's something. You know, if he were just throwing, you know, fastballs in vain, and that's basically what he was doing. He was throwing fastball sinkers, changeups mostly over the you know, May through August struggles that he had. The, the cutter really disappeared. He threw, I think, two total cutters over a three month period. Uh, I'm not sure why that was because even in May and uh, April and May, he wasn't throwing, uh, you know, he threw cutters back then. He just, and he was succeeding with them. So it seemed like a pitch that was going to give him a second wind or another look to major league hitters who had already seen his best stuff and weren't phased by the diminished Herrera. So that I don't quite get why the cutter disappeared, but uh, um, part of it might be, and I mentioned this in the post that he doesn't like throwing against lefties. And when you look at the, um, tilt of it, you know, it has the Alex Colomay type movement where it's, um, you know, not a power cutter, not like a, a 93 mile per hour bat breaker. It's more of an 89 to maybe topping out 91, but it has a lot of dive to it. And, um, you know, he's, he's not really confident in throwing it to left-handed hitters the way like David Robertson was. David Robertson could go at hitters. He had that more lateral movement that missed barrels and, and, and sawed off handles. And, and he threw that with, uh, uh, with regularity and he seemed to enjoy throwing it more to lefties than he did to righties. I think righties, uh, his, his cutter tended to miss more, uh, or at least miss, uh, ways that cost him more against the righties than did against lefties. I think, uh, Herrera has that kind of cutter that when it moves the way he doesn't want it to, to lefties, he could be in trouble. So I, I you know, when he's, when he's trying to reinvent himself as a full inning reliever, I think that's maybe the one reservation I have is saying that, you know, Herrera can bounce back to what the White Sox thought they were signing him for, for an average annual value of uh, eight to 9 million a year. Uh, that guy probably isn't coming back, but as somebody who can retire righties, you know, maybe he'll like that more and, and the White Sox uh, can at least get some use out of him, if, even if he isn't like the lockdown eighth inning or seventh inning setup guy that they, they thought they were signing. Yeah, and Herrera's last seven games that he's pitched, it's over a span of six and two thirds innings. Herrera's only allowed two hits, one earned run, walking three, striking out 10. So the strikeouts are picking up, but I mean, overall, his season, as you mentioned, Jim, is a lost one. I mean, he's got a 6.2 ERA. That's almost more than double his career ERA in uh, 55 games this year for the White Sox. He's only pitched 49 in a third innings. Uh, he has 49 strikeouts in the year. It's just one of those things in 2020 I'm keeping an eye on, Jim, because with the White Sox, depending on the transition, what they do in this offseason – if they could have some faith that he can bounce back, then maybe they're not going to spend whatever their budget is for their offseason spending uh, to try to bolster the bullpen. Because that seems to be an area that the White Sox don't mind investing in, even though they may have roster holes everywhere else. So I'm hoping that Kelvin Herrera, because uh, I'm sure the White Sox are going to need him over this weekend, and we'll talk about who's actually going to try to pitch this weekend for the White Sox in their last four games. Uh, it'd be nice if he can bounce back uh, to the way that he was. He was in Washington, right, in 2018. 
Yeah, uh, well, Kansas City had a 1.05 ERA over 27 games. I'm not expecting him to be that level, but, I mean, if he can just have a 4 ERA, uh, I think that could help the White Sox next year. Yeah, the problem is with Herrera is that he's had a couple injuries now. He had the back issue earlier this year. He had the foot injury last year. So he's, you know, he's fighting his body a little bit, I think, and... Um, yeah, it, it would be nice for the White Sox to have one more power arm. Maybe they can find it from within. Uh, maybe Ian Hamilton after Ian Hamilton's, yeah, I, I don't think Ian Hamilton can have worse luck than he had this year with the car accident and then taking a foul ball to the face in the dugout. Like that's just the, the most cursed year ever. Um, but yeah, if he can come back and show what he showed, maybe that's that high nineties arm, Jimmy Cordero, if he can follow up what he's shown this year, maybe they can get a strikeout guy. Cause I think they've, they've, They've done all they can with uh, Evan Marshall and I think Aaron Bummer uh, to a, a lesser. I think Evan Marshall's the guy that's, whose success is going to be harder to replicate than Aaron Bummer's. Bummer just might be somebody who's been used a little p- too much or maybe uh, has thrown many, a little bit uh, too many one plus inning outings, uh, you know, from the left hand side being basically a a high 90 sinker guy. Um, you know, he, he probably has some regression in for him that he's fighting right now, but you know, Calame is a little bit of a regression risk and Marshall is, uh, you know, he's been getting by and kind of on smoke and mirrors. Um, so I, I don't really want to trust them too much. So it's, I wouldn't mind seeing them pick up one reliever, one different arm, just in case, you know, all these worst case scenarios come true because, you know, Herrera gets hurt and, uh, Marshall turns back into what he was, and Colome looks more like second half half Colome than first half Colome. They could probably use a guy. Well, they got some depth in this area, though. Unless, yeah, you don't think Tyler Johnson will be ready. No, I do like Tyler Johnson. He's probably my favorite of the bunch. Cody Hoyer is another one, and right. uh, Zach Birdie is always theoretically an option. Although yeah, I, I would not count him. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I do like Tyler Johnson. I like the way he's finishing up. So. You know, he can be a guy, I would just feel better about the internal depth if Ian Hamilton was able to show something. But I think, you know, if you're counting on, you know, one of those guys, Tyler Johnson, Ian Hamilton, Zach Birdie, Johnson's probably the one guy I actually feel okay about. And putting that kind of pressure on a rookie is probably not a good idea. So with the win, the White Sox go 11-8 and against Cleveland this season. And this is part of the rebuild and one of my takeaways from the 2019 season. I think you can circle and say that this is one of the reasons why I have confidence that the team can turn the corner in 2020, Jim, just because Cleveland still had more talent than the White Sox. I know that the Indians went through a lot of injuries, and at the end of the day, I'm impressed that they even reached 93 wins. In May, I didn't even think they were going to reach 90 wins with how poorly they started and how poorly they played, and then losing Corey Kluber, uh, and then even losing Jose Ramirez after he got hot, losing him for a month, and then he needed to have surgery. It, it's pretty impressive that the Indians still found a way to win 93 games. But for the White Sox, I still felt were a little bit shorthanded talent-wise to still come out ahead uh, by, a, you know, I think a significant margin, winning, you know, 11 out of 19 games against the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I think that this is one of those areas of the season when we review it that we could circle it and say, if you want to have confidence in the White Sox to be competitive in 2020, this is a good start. Yeah, especially since you know, with the Indians in particular, you know, as opposed to other teams, given the Indians, the quality of their staff, uh, the White Sox didn't have many favorable pitching matchups over the course of the full season. Basically, it's Lucas Giolito was the only guy who could be 
counted reliably upon to give the White Sox an edge on paper before a game. So to win 11-8, and eight, when you have the Indian staff versus the White Sox staff, especially with Dylan Cease um, you know, missing his start and having to piece together a bullpen game after a Ross Detweiler came and winning those games by a significant margin, um, what, 13 total runs? That helps the run differential a little bit. So they go from losing 11 nothing to uh, ultimately winning the run differential uh, uh, battle in a series, which is which is pretty awesome. But yeah, it, you know, this is what I, I've been getting at with Rick Renteria and, and overall the effort level that um, he provides or, or he inspires out of the team. Like you can you can quibble all you want with his lineups and his bunt calls and his um, you know some of his reliever usage or maybe you know matchups and going to the bullpen a little bit too often. But when it comes to the effort level, the effort's always been there. And you know the whole thing with Ricky's boys don't quit. Like any Hawk Harrelson line, it gets overused, but it's. You know, there is truth to it. There is, you know, there is the effort level and there is the White Sox winning 70 games when they probably could have stalled at 65 given all the injuries and nobody would have blinked. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been impressive. And then you, and you see what the you know other teams around the league are doing, like the Cubs, you know, how they've hit a wall. And with the, uh, with the Pirates, how they've imploded. And, and other teams around the league that have just had to uh, succumb to injuries and just... Uh, uh, lack of morale and internal dysfunction and fighting and rest and everything like that. Uh, the White Sox, you know, they 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 do respect uh, the process and the um, you know just the the daily task of going about and trying to give their fans their best effort, even if the talent is lacking. And you know, if Rick Renteria were ever able to get talent, um, you know, really respectable twenty-five man roster talent. I, I think the White Sox might surprise, and that's why I'm not inclined to give up on them. Just because when you've had this much losing as a rebuilding manager, most rebuilding managers have their messages have been uh, exhausted by now. Teams have given up on them or want to turn to somebody else, and you know they're still playing hard for him. And and when you see other managers, uh, you know, who bounce back with other clubs and get results, and and uh, you know, maybe like Dusty Baker and Ron Washington, they were never like a um, you know never a strategic. Masters, Ned Yost is another guy, never a strategic master, but just seemed to inspire confidence in players in a 162-game uh, schedule. I think Renteria has some of that in him if he could ever get a 25-man roster that makes the 162 games a little bit more manageable. Yeah, he's doing a better job than Robin Ventura, right? We're not hearing yeah. any clubhouse fighting. Nobody's cutting up uniforms. Nobody's kid is getting in the way in the clubhouse. Uh yeah, I agree with you. And, and, he's, and he's not like being buddy-buddy with players either. No. Yeah, he, I mean, he softened a little bit from the random benchings, which I do agree with because you can't really bench guys at the major league level he, what way he was doing it last year without being really arbitrary and hard, you know, making it very difficult to maintain standards. So he's doing that. But I mean, like with Reynaldo Lopez, he gave him some tough love after uh, you know, uh, his rough start mm-hmm. or in the middle of his rough start. So... Um, there are, you know, he does have a backbone. He's not just being the player's best friend and, uh, they're getting away with everything. Well, the White Sox are 70 and 88. They are 35 and 36 against American League Central opponents. So can they finish the season with a winning record against the division? It's been a minute, Jim. Uh, since they had a winning record against their American League Central foes. Well, they face the Detroit Tigers next. And before we preview that series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek Cruisers a better way to buy tickets. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for. 
all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand up from the crowd as they built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start to join it. And I've been using SeatGeek all season long to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. SeatGeek has some great deals for this final weekend. So remember, there's two games scheduled for Friday. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, a game is scheduled on Saturday. And then everyone in Major League Baseball is going to start at the same time at 2.10 p.m. Central Time. And if you haven't used SeatGeek before, you know, the reasons why I like to use it, there's the interactive seat map. So I can zoom in and pick my spots at guaranteed rate field on my preferred areas that I like to sit at. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And with the digital tickets, uh, when you buy on SeatGeek, those tickets download onto your smartphone. So it's really easy access into the stadium. And the best part is, is that Sox Machine listeners get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app today on your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. And again, the Chicago White Sox are facing the Detroit Tigers for one last time. They are trying to schedule four games in three days. The Detroit Tigers are 46 and 112. Another one of those teams that have kind of uh, packed it in already. Yeah. Let's see if the White Sox can help them avoid 50 wins. As a matter of fact, the Detroit Tigers have already clinched the first pick in the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. So they have successfully tanked for Torkelson. Uh, That looks like to be the preseason number one pick, Spencer Torkelson, the first baseman right fielder from Arizona State. In their last 10 games, the Detroit Tigers have lost eight of them, and they have a season run differential of negative 326. Your pitching problems for this series, starting on Friday, Game 1 will be at 3.10 p.m. Central Time. Please note the time difference. The White Sox have moved up the game by 30 minutes. It is now starting at 3.10 Central Time. It'll be Tyler Alexander for the Detroit Tigers against the White Sox Bullpen Day Part 3. Friday, Game 2 will start after Game 1. Nobody knows who's pitching. Saturday, 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it's Matthew Boyd against Ronaldo Lopez. And on Sunday at 2.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Spencer Turnbull against whoever wants to pitch for the White Sox. Maybe it'll be you. <laughs> if you're lucky in attendance, maybe they'll pick you know every 1,000th fan that attends the game to, to pitch uh, for the White Sox. Uh, but before we get into the pitching situation for the White Sox heading to this final series, uh, the weather could play a factor. Friday, there's some light rain expected in the afternoon between the 1 to 2 o'clock hour range, but most of the rain will start around 9 o'clock. So that's part of the reason why the White Sox moved up Game 1 is hoping that they get an opportunity to avoid the rain late in Game 2. Again, that rain is supposed to start at 9 o'clock, and it's supposed to last all the way to 5 in the morning, Saturday morning. Saturday looks clear, and Sunday morning there's some supposed to be some light rain uh, in the morning, but it will, should be clear for first pitch on Sunday. So depending on how the weather holds up on Friday, maybe one of those games and the doubleheader for the White Sox and Tigers on Friday gets moved to Saturday as they try to get all 162 games in the season. And then Jim, looking at the pitching front, I'm wondering, 
how in the world is Rick Renteria and Don Cooper going to have enough arms to get through 36 more innings? Well, Ivan Nova's probably got one of those starts. Um, so he, probably between Nova and Lopez, you might get two credible five to six inning outings. So there's that. I think last game of the season, who cares? Um, that might be one where um, you, you might see a position player pitch if it's uh, out of hand or you don't mind using guy in back-to-back-to-back days because they have 140 days rest after that. So really, I think the doubleheader is going to be the tough one. And that's a case where you mentioned the rain. I wonder, you know, Johan Debrinci, our, our, uh, uh, one of our loyal listeners, he suggested going to the minor league seven-inning doubleheaders, which I think would probably be good for, you know, two teams that have often, oh, right now are, are kind of running out minor league staffs right now with the way their pitching's been beat up, so there's that. Um, but I, I wonder, you know, as you mentioned, the rain coming at 9 o'clock or something like that, if there is a delay. I wonder if, you know, the game is five innings, if they're just going to call it just for the health of everybody. And <laughs> well, if they're just happy, you know, no matter what the score is, even if the White Sox are, are trailing, if they'll just say like, well, uh, we'll save our arms and, and, and fight the next two days and, and, you know, salvage whatever after that, they've already met their projection for the season. So they're not going to be underperforming. It's going to be a bit of a mess, but uh, the good news is that they can just get through. If Reynaldo Lopez can turn in one more, Good start against the Tigers. He's had some success against them. If he can have one more Detroit-fueled gem, uh, then Sunday will be just more or less all hands on deck. Everybody throw an inning, get a position player out there. Which position player would you like to see? Lurie Garcia. I would like to see Daniel Paca. I think. I I think he would have fun with it. I didn't want to see him out there without any kind of success at the plate. I thought that would have been sad. (laughs) Just have him out there if he were batting, you know, 040 and and, and then have him go out there to pitch. And yeah, he's somebody who could have fun with it, uh, with the tropes. And he's got a decent arm and that'd be kind of fun, but that would be my pick. But uh, one one storyline I'm also looking at is uh, maybe the last games of Gordon Beckham. Really? Yeah, he's... You know, he, no one's going to bring him back. He's had a terrible season. Looking at his numbers, he's batting 215, OPS of 646. Basically, he looks like um, you know uh, a Gordon Beckham in his 30s after the 20s he had with his White Sox. Just like decline phase wasn't going to help him at all. So, uh, yeah, this. I mean, if he's batting 215 for a team that's uh, you know not going to make 50 wins in all likelihood, um, you know, where do you go from there? I could see the White Sox also sitting Tim Anderson on Sunday. If he has the batting title wrapped up for good. Yeah. Yeah. Give, or maybe start one, you know, start, get a plate appearance, get a round of applause coming off the field. Oh, good call. Good call. Now, now we'll see too. I've made the prediction that uh, this is the big Jose Abreu contract extension announcement. Do you think it's going to happen? Because at this moment, what's the holdup? Right, I have to imagine there's been some type of conversation because even Rick Hahn said with the Aloy Jimenez contract extension that those talks started in November. I, I have to imagine both sides have had some type of discussions. Yeah, and Rick Renteria also said that he can't imagine the team without Abreu. So, you know, it's one thing when Abreu is doing the lobbying to bring him back, but when Renteria is saying it, it seems like you know everybody kind of knows. So. Maybe just one, you know, my, my thought process has been that maybe they wanted to make sure he gets the season in full working order to you know, ultimately settle on the next contract terms and make sure that he doesn't have some kind of catastrophic injury beforehand if everybody's comfortable with it. But, uh, you know, it'd be weird to have it go into the off season when everybody seems to know the deal. So that was my big 
yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> they don't play in October anymore, but September surprise uh, to make that happen. Uh, I'm not, yeah, it, I don't see the signs necessarily aside from Renteria's most uh, recent comments, but that uh, I did make that prediction and it'd be uh, cowardly of me to back away from it now. Well, I hope it comes true because my bold season prediction did not come true, even though it probably should have. <laughs> yeah, not for lack of trying. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so again, we'll be recapping the White Sox final series on Monday's Sox Machine podcast. But as we wrap up the very last Sox Machine live episode of the 2019 season, let's look at the final weekend of the postseason races. And I think this is very cool in which every team in baseball plays at the same time on Sunday, starting at 2.10 p.m. Central Time. And there are some really close races looking at the National League. And it's like every single week, Jim. Uh, it's a different storyline with the National League race. And I know we, you know, with this podcast, we focus on the Chicago White Sox. But for me, it's been fun tracking what's been happening in the National League postseason race. So the Chicago Cubs have lost nine games in a row. Uh, <laughs> that team has simply quit. Uh, there's some big changes coming for that franchise after the weekend. Uh, so the Milwaukee Brewers clinched the postseason spot, eliminated the Cubs. But the Milwaukee Brewers keep winning. They have won seven games in a row. And St. Louis had the night off. So the the Milwaukee Brewers are now one game back of the St. Louis Cardinals for the National League Central. So it's just not one thing of the Brewers to edge out the Cubs to get the wild card now. They have a chance of winning the National League Central again. Just like last year. Just like last year. And Washington and St. Louis have the same record. Both teams are 90 and 69. Now, St. Louis... Yeah, Nationals have won five in a row, too. Yeah, the Nationals are starting to heat up. So St. Louis is at home, and they play the Cubs. A Cubs team that has simply quit. So I don't know how much fight the Cubs are going to have. And Joe Madden said that uh, he's not he's resting his best players because there's no use in putting their bodies through it. And he said if the Brewers don't care, then uh, they use an expletive there to summarize his feelings. So yeah, there's a uh, it's it's some some messy central stuff. And then Milwaukee is in Colorado, and then to bring this full circle, Washington, very odd, is facing the Cleveland Indians this weekend. The final weekend of the season, and you have an interleague series. To me, Jim, that's odd. I, I find that to be really odd. Uh, as both teams, they need the wins. So, in a, I guess kind of a, in a weird, fluky way, that worked out for Major League Baseball in that Washington and Cleveland, they need the wins. I mean, Washington's in the postseason right now, but they're trying to hold on to hosting the one-game um, playoff either against the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals. And obviously Cleveland right now is two games back of the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League wild card uh, with just three games remaining. So Cleveland's pretty much going to have to win out and then hope that Tampa Bay uh, loses their final series of the season in which Tampa Bay heads north of the border. They're going to face the Toronto Blue Jays and the Toronto Blue Jays have been really scuffling uh, as it well, I shouldn't. Yeah. I shouldn't say that the Blue Jays have won seven of their last ten games. Never mind. So maybe the yeah. Blue Jays can give the Rays a, a tough time. But. but I mean, like the the Rays have you know faced the the Blue Jays. The Oakland's facing Seattle. So Cleveland has to go, and not only is it interleague, they have to go to Washington. So they lose the DH and and, mm -hmm. and probably Franmil Reyes, who is one of their best hitters. 
So they, they lose his services, at least in the lineup, unless they want to make some, you know, or take some massive defensive hits, but they really have it. Uh, they're, they're getting it, uh, you know, fighting a two front war when it comes to the strength of schedule. I, I will say Oakland, I, I watched a little bit of uh, Felix Hernandez's last start in Seattle, which is probably going to be his last start in Seattle. And that was a really cool scene. So I recommend people if they, they miss that to uh, see the kind of uh, mutual love uh, exchange between Felix and King's court and, uh, left field corner that was really cool but Oakland's you know they they were they had the lead in that game I think they're still leading and uh yeah the strength of the schedule is really biting Cleveland here and, and I'm kind of glad to see it I think because uh you know they really played the offseason um they, they really you know when they Poorly. Look at, yeah and and they assume that they're going to win the central and I'm glad to see you know, even if it's weird to be glad that the twins have any success uh given the White Sox uh, long-standing conflicts with the twins but uh, I'm I'm happy to see an aggressive offseason being rewarded in the form of Central because Cleveland is waiting basically for somebody to take it, um, and 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 daring somebody to do it, and uh, the the Twins uh, called them on it and are now leading the Central by yeah six games. So it's uh it, it, that's cool to see, and and I wish the White Sox were a little bit more aggressive and tried to get in on that. Uh, you know maybe if the yeah, they might have been able to put a bigger dent in the uh, Twins lead and maybe it would, made it would have made a more competitive central with three teams instead of two. But I'm glad to see that the Indians, uh, their, their really lackadaisical, laissez-faire, whatever you want to call it, offseason came back to bite them. Well, we'll see how the final weekend shakes out. I guess the big question is, who do you got, Jim? Who do you think is going to win the National League Central? Do you think St. Louis can hold off Milwaukee? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, given the way the Cubs are going, um, yeah, I think they can. Um, and the Brewers also, I should note that, uh, 19 games above, uh, 500, but finally pulled their run differential into positive. <laughs> They're now have a run differential of nine, uh, after spending most of the season, uh, in the red in that department. So that's, that's cool. But yeah, I think the Cardinals will hold off by game. The fascinating thing will be seeing, you know, on Sunday, whether, yeah, uh, Steve Stone mentioned this on the broadcast, saying that uh, when it comes to home field advantage or having their guy on the mound, that you know they'd rather have their guy on the mound. So they may take a may take a hit if it comes to saving a starter, and uh, it'll be curious to see the the Sunday pitching matchups because I don't quite know, um, especially like Milwaukee when they've had just a kind of a team effort and a bullpen heavy uh, pitching staff. That I don't know if that matters so much to them. It's very true. That's very true. I think we're going to see a lot of high-scoring games this weekend. So if you like playing daily fantasy sports like DraftKings, this is going to be a fun weekend. There's going to be a lot of runs because there's just a lot of teams that are just out of gas, especially the White Sox-Tigers game. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some games that have a, a total runs combined of over 20 uh, sometime in this in this series between the White Sox and Tigers as pitching is just really limited. And uh, who knows? It's it's fun watching Slugfest. Uh, from time to time, but we'll see how it all shakes out again on Monday. Sox machine podcast. We'll recap the last series for the Chicago white Sox, And we will be look doing a preview of the major league baseball postseason uh, to preview as far as the series. And we'll be making our predictions. And also on Monday, we will have our 2019 grading survey available on SoxMachine.com in which you'll be able to 
give out your grades for all of the players for the Chicago White Sox, as well as grades for Rick Renteria, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and a confidence meter on how confident you believe the White Sox will be aggressive this upcoming offseason or not aggressive. Uh, so that's something to look forward to on Monday as well as a, a new podcast. But yeah, this is the last episode of Sox Machine Live of the 2019 season. I hope you guys enjoyed the Sox Machine Live episodes, especially for those that listen to the stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. Our next episode, Jim, so you have it on your calendar of Sox Machine Live will be March 26th, 2020. So I just want to make sure. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. So, yes. Yeah, so the next episode of Sox Machine Live will be on Jim's birthday. Fair enough. <laughs> Hooray. All right. There we go. Okay. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.